Who likes a good love story? Anybody? Well, according to the IMDB, which is the Internet Movie Database, I had to, to call, text Brian to see if he was part of that because I don't know if you know he was in a movie. He's part of the Screen Actors Guild at one point in time. He was in, uh, what was the name of the movie? Invincible with Mark Wahlberg. So if you ever go towards the end scenes, it, you see Brian tackling Mark Wahlberg. It's kind of cool. So, But he's not part of this, so I just wanted to give a, a shout-out for that. Here's the top 10 greatest love stories according to the IMDb. And these are movies, not, not books. But the number 10, coming in at number 10, is The Notebook. Ooh. Already got problems here. Uh, coming in at number nine is A Walk to Remember. Coming in at number eight, What Dreams May Come. Number seven, Revolutionary Road. Number six, Romeo and Juliet. I think Leonardo DiCaprio is in like nine of these. Uh, number five, Tristan and... You can tell I haven't seen that movie. I can't even pronounce that word. Number four, Ever After. Number three, When a Man Loves a Woman. Number two, Titanic. Jack. Jack. Number one, drum roll please, Steve. Gone with the Wind. I think I've only seen two of these movies, to be honest with you, so... I wouldn't know, but today we're going to talk about a great love story in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is such a cool depiction of the gospel, and you see the gospel in the book of Ruth. The setting of the book of Ruth is still in the time of the judges. If you remember or you were here last week, I talked about the book of Judges and how um, Israel had no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's what we talked about last week. So they're still in Judges. You see that in chapter 1, verse 1. There's three main characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And obviously the love story between Ruth and, and Boaz is, is key, but as I was reading this and studying and asking God what he wanted me to share with you guys, there's a deeper story that's working in the life of Naomi. And that's kind of the angle I'm taking this morning is how God worked in this story in the life of Naomi. So I've titled today's message, From Bitterness to Hope. Naomi goes from bitter to hopeful in this short little four-chapter book. So the story of Naomi in the book of Ruth, that's what we're looking at. And so in chapter one, we have tragedy and loyalty. Chapter one, tragedy and loyalty. There was a, a man named Elimelech, that was Naomi's husband. Elimelech decided to move his family, his wife and two sons, to, to a place called Moab, which was a foreign land. They'd just been settling in the promised land, but there was a famine that happened. And so he did what was right in his own eyes. Instead of trusting the Lord, he moves his family to Moab to try to solve their problem. And Elimelech's name means, my God is king. And yet at the time, Israel had no king. 
but his, he was named, my God is my king. And he made a mistake in, in moving his family and, and not trusting the Lord. Naomi means, her name means pleasant or sweet. And they had two sons named Malan and Killian. Now, Malan and Killian, their names literally were sick and dying. Like they had no shot in this story, right? You, why don't you name your kid SARS and COVID-19? Like that'd be, that'd be the basic same thing today if we were to do that. And so they go, they're in Moab for a bit. Uh, uh, Malan and Killian marry two Moabite uh, women. And then Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband. And then both Killian and Malan both die. So there's three ladies left as, as widows in this story. So Ruth, I mean, Naomi is grieving, and she's bummed, like, how bad can things actually get? How low can we actually go in, in life and in this situation? And she basically tells the two, her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, that, hey, you guys stay here. I can't provide for you. I don't have the ability to have more sons. Or are you going to wait until they're 18 if I even had that ability? And um, so she says, stay here. I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm going back to Israel because that's where her and Elimelech were from, from Bethlehem in Israel. It says in chapter 1, verse 16, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Strong, strong statements of loyalty from Ruth to her mother-in-law. When they get to Bethlehem, Orpah stays behind. Ruth and Naomi head to Bethlehem. And when they get to, to the city of Bethlehem, people know Naomi and they greet her and say, may the Lord bless you, Naomi. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. So she, was, she went from sweet and pleasant to call me bitter. I'm bitter. My life is full of, of bitterness. How many know that when life gets difficult, loyal friends are such a help in the middle of those difficult times. When you have loyal family, loyal friends who show up and help you get through it, and it's not even what people say, it's the fact that they show up in the middle of difficulties often. In 2007, my oldest brother Tim tragically died. He was only 48 at the time. And uh, it devastated my mom. My my mom was married before my dad and had my brother Tim and then my brother Mike and Kathy and me and um, I remember my mom was just heartbroken because she always carried this weight of guilt about my brother for some reason and then him passing early just really devastated her and I remember um, my mom's mom died when she was 13 so I never had a grandma on that side. My dad's mom, when he was five, left and joined the circus or get a loaf of bread or something. She just bolted and never came back. But 
my mom's grandma, my great-grandma, her name was Flossie Hazelrig. That's as country as you can get right there. Flossie Hazelrig. Straight country. And um, she was like four foot nine. <laughs> she was a pistol, man. She had to bury her two kids. She outlived both of her kids. My mom's mom and would have been her uncle. She told my mom, the hardest thing someone ever has to do in their life is to bury their own kid. And that just was so true for my mom. But when my brother died, I remember loyal people showing up for my mom. And my mom always talked about who showed up, not what they said or any of that, but people brought food and they sat with her and, and cried with her and, and prayed with her. There's a spiritual dynamic in friendship that we need to walk with Jesus. There's a, a friendship is built on consistency and commitment, time, consistency, and commitment. And when you have a loyal friend in your life that you can walk with Jesus, man, it's so helpful. That's what Ruth was going to be for her mother-in-law, Naomi, in spite of the fact that her husband was now gone. So in chapter 2, we see faith and favor. Faith and favor. They were poor. Ruth and Naomi had nothing. There's a famine. They, they, they had lost everything. I mean, they were this kind of poor. They were so poor that on Sundays they would go visit their rich uncle at the poorhouse. That was actually supposed to be funny. They were so poor that for Christmas they got a piece of paper that said coal. They were so poor that they would eat cereal with a fork to save milk. Come on, guys, work with me here. So serious. They were so poor that when any of them got mad, they couldn't afford to fly off the handle. They had to greyhound off the handle. You. They were so poor that when someone asked them uh, why they were kicking a can down the street, they, they told them they were moving. Hey, appreciate it. I'll be here all week. Tip your waitresses. So in chapter 2, when they're now in Bethlehem, Naomi says, I want you to go glean in the fields. Go glean in the field of someone who is my kinsman redeemer. You learn about a kinsman redeemer in Leviticus 25. And that's that if somebody goes through what they're going through and they lose it all, and they have no means of income or how to, how to make a living, that a family member, a relative, can redeem them by bringing them into their family and letting them be part of their resources and have their resources, and maybe even marry that person. And Naomi tells Ruth, I have such a, such a person, and I want you to go to his field, and I want you to glean, you know, as they're reaping the harvest, and we're also in the Torah or in the books of Moses and, and Leviticus, that to take care of the poor was as you reaped the harvest, whatever pieces fell on the ground, don't pick them up and let the poor come by and they got to glean and uh, have, actually have food that way. And so 
Um, she does that. But, but by Ruth going out and gleaning in this field, she was putting, taking her life into to her own hands because she's a foreign woman. She's a Moabite. There's already chaos in, in the promised land of trying to drive out foreigners. And so who's this foreigner here now gleaning you know, from our, our field? And she... Boaz, who comes on the scene in chapter 2, who is the kinsman redeemer, he sees her and he asks the workers, who's, who's this person? Who's this lady? And they say, well, that's Ruth, the Moabite, Naomi's daughter-in-law. And he goes over to her and he, he basically totally shows favor to her and says, listen, stop gleaning from this, but I want you to pick from the actual harvest. I want you to go home full and as, as you're... Uh, doing it you can drink from the water jars of the workers and you're you're I'm basically he was saying like you're you're one of mine now and says that that in chapter 2 verse 10 then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner Boaz replied to her all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. So he treated her with favor. So we see faith and favor in chapter 2. In chapter 3, we now see love and compassion at work. And, and when you think of the word love, even though this is a love story, think of love as an action because that's what love is. Love is, is not a feeling. Feelings can be the byproduct of love, but love itself is, is something that we do. It's, it's an action verb. And Ruth shows Naomi love in this chapter by what what she does and I would just say this like if you're having a struggle loving somebody don't try to wait for feelings just treat somebody like you love them and often the feelings follow it's just always happens that way so in chapter three it gets a little little strange from a non-understanding of the the Hebrew culture but Naomi tells Ruth to go over to Boaz's threshing floor. And she says, listen, Boaz is going to put in a hard day's work. And at the end of the work day, he's going to eat a good meal. He's going to drink a little bit and he's going to get tired and he's going to go to sleep. I want you to sneak in and I want you to uncover his feet and figure out let, let, let his kindness, you know, lead from there after, after you do that. The uncovering of the feet, eh, a little strange, not sure exactly what that means. There's a lot of debate and interpretation on it, but it, it basically is a proposal, so to speak. So Boaz wakes up and he says, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first 
by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. So she's proposing to him, and he's flattered. He's honored that he, he's older than her. And he says, you could go after, you know, younger dudes, but you're choosing this, this older guy. And um, he was honored. She's Sadie Hawkins, Tim. How many remember Sadie Hawkins, where the girl would ask the guy to the dance? That's basically what happened. She is proposing marriage to him. And he's, he's, he's going along with it. But he also says, listen, there's one stipulation in this. There's a, a relative that's higher on the, the chart than me that, that gets first right at redeeming Naomi and her family or Naomi and her relatives. So I got to go to him and see if he wants to do it first. And then, you know, if, if he doesn't want to, then I, I'm, I'm yours. And uh, he goes to the guy, and, and the guy says, no, I'm good. <laughs> and so he ends up marrying uh, Ruth, and Naomi gets to come be part of Boaz's uh, family and to have food and to have a life and so forth. So chapter 4 is all about redemption and hope. They went from, Naomi went from bitterness to hopefulness. Her life was a tragedy. But then God, as he always does, he's a redeemer. God redeems the difficulties of life, and he works them for our good. He doesn't cause bad things. He doesn't cause evil, but he can work anything for the good of his people. It says this, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who, now, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. Very important line. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became, became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. That little bit of genealogy is super important because Jesus came from the line of David. He's a descendant of David. And in God's providence, all this happens in this story with, with Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and, um, you know, just God working th in, th in two widows' life for the ultimate plan of Jesus being in the genealogy of Ruth and Boaz. I think that's amazing that God knew how he was going to work all of this. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, we see a little bit of this kinsman redeemer in Jesus, and it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his, uh, his brother and sister. He's our kinsman redeemer. He is the gospel. He has redeemed us. He has given us everything that we need in life through his life, death, and resurrection. And like Boaz, he shared it, everything with us. We lack nothing. 
Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. So I was thinking about this. Imagine the family talking about their history a little bit. Imagine Ruth and Boaz telling Obed their story and Naomi. Imagine Obed telling his son Jesse. Imagine, you know, Jesse telling David these stories. And it got me to thinking a little bit. I don't know if I've told you this yet or not, but I'm a grandfather. And uh, try not to get emotional here, but I'm going to go by the name. I want my grandkids to call me Pappy. And uh, the reason is, is my dad called his grandfather Pappy. Because when his mom left, his basically Pappy and his dad raised my dad, my dad. So he was super close. And he would always talk about his Pappy and how godly and kind and generous and compassionate Pappy was. And I'm like, I want to be like that. I want my kids and grandkids to think of me that way. I want to live and model that for them. So the night that I proposed to Janelle, um, it was a great night. I didn't have a great plan for it. I was winging it. We went to dinner, and I had a ring in my pocket. And we went down to the Starbucks at REI, uh, down, downtown Denver there. And it was cold because it was December. And we went and got our, our coffees. And I said, can we go out by the rivers? And she's like, it's cold, bro. Like, what's going on here? And I was like, well, I want to I talk to you about something. <laughs> and so very cheesily, I said something like, you know, the two rivers that come together here, they confluence. And our lives have, have come together. And she's like, okay. And... The ring that I had to give her was a family heirloom. The ring that she wears today was my dad's pappy, my great-grandfather. It was my great-grandmother Catherine's wedding ring, and it stayed in our family. And so I pulled the ring out, and I told her about pappy and how when Catherine was in her 40s, she got really sick. They lived in Pennsylvania, and they had to move to a humid climate, so they moved down to, to Georgia. And he physically would pick her up and carry her around and took care of her and honored her till death did they part. And I told Janelle that story, and I said, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to serve you the way and, and, and be an honorable man and an honorable husband to you. And then I asked her to marry me, I told her I loved her for the first time that night. I had not said I wasn't just going to loosely throw that word around. And she said yes, by the way. And we've been happily married ever since. And I'm her Boaz, I guess, is what I'm trying to I'm just kidding. You guys are all serious. I kind of am, because I am older than her. But anyway, digressing. The gospel is a love story. Boaz is a type of Christ as our kinsman redeemer. We're Ruth and Naomi, desperate in ourselves, needing a redeemer. Jesus is your redeemer. 
He is your kinsman redeemer. We're going to sing a song in response to this love story of the gospel. The gospel is a love story that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's the most beautiful love story there is. It's, it's our Heavenly Father's love towards his creation, towards his children. And what is asked of us by Jesus and being our Redeemer is simply to agree with him that he is he's Savior and he's Lord. That's what faith is, is I agree with you, Jesus. I'm with you and I trust you. And that's what he wants for us today, to experience that. So we stand and we're going to sing about the great love that God has for each one of us. And I pray that you receive that today. I pray that you receive the love of the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit into your mind, into your spirit, into your soul.
God just put on my heart as we were singing that there's somebody watching or some in this room that you're struggling to believe that you're loved and you just you don't feel lovable maybe it's guilt it's shame it's circumstances mistakes whatever it is and I feel like God wants to tell you you are loved more than you ever dreamed You've been on his mind and heart from eternity past. And if you struggle to know how much God loves you, look at the cross. The cross is the place where God demonstrated his love infinitely, what he was willing to go through to redeem us and to show us that he loved us. So if that's you today, I just feel like you need to embrace the Father's love for you. When Jesus talked about the love of the father, he told the story of the prodigal son. That's how we're supposed to picture the father, but we've been told a lot of garbage about the father, that he's just ticked off and angry and, and he's out to get you. And, and Jesus is the shield that protects us from his, his anger. That's, that's hogwash, that's bad, bad theology. The story of the prodigal son is, yes, the prodigal son wasted his inheritance and his life. And when he came to his senses and he came home, the father ran and embraced him. He didn't say, oh, how dare you? You need to, you need to do penance. You need to do this. You need to do that. No, he celebrated. That's the father's heart for you. The other word that came to me is that if you're married, love your spouse well prefer your spouse forgive your spouse nurture your marriage nurture your marriage if you're not married wait for your Boaz wait for your Ruth because God God's pro that so father as we celebrate the goodness of the gospel and the goodness of you um, Lord it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So Lord, help us to think rightly about you. Help us to interpret scripture rightly. 
Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us. Make each one of us sensitive to your promptings, Holy Spirit. God, I pray for marriages to be strong in novation. God, that our marriages would be built on Christ, built on following you together. And God, those that are, that are, are single right now, God, I, I pray that you would keep them pure in every way as they wait for you to bring the right person into their life. We trust you for that, God. Give them great wisdom. God, if they're a little lonely, then I pray that you would, you would show them that you're with them all the time. You're the God of the redeemed as we just sang, celebrate. God bless your people today. abundantly through and in Christ. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.